Welcome to The Lit Fantastic, a show about authors and their obsessions. I'm your host, Neil Aiken, and today we're speaking with the poet Hari Aluri. Hari is the author of The Flayed City, Carving Ashes, and the chapbook The Promise of Rust. His poetic, curational, and translation work appears in anthologies, journals, and online venues, and recently through The Margins, Pomelian and Poetry International. A co-founding editor of Locked Horn Press and recipient of several grants and awards, he immigrated to Vancouver, Coast Salish territories at age 12, where he again works and writes. In this conversation, Hare and I discuss his obsession with mudras, a type of symbolic or ritual hand gesture in Hinduism and Buddhism, and also his fascination and long-term fandom of martial arts. I was going down this rabbit hole around the around these uh, sort of mudras, which are like ancient uh, South Asian hand language. You find them in both dance and martial arts, um, like a like a, like an ancient dance. Uh, musical mythic theater that uh, leans on them very heavily as part of its language, uh, as well as a friend of mine I was talking to, who, as I am, is kind of a geek for like kung fu and ninja movies, and he was like, "Oh, don't you remember that that, that like the mudras are all up in are all up in ninjutsu?" And I was like, "That's right, they are." Um, so that's the direction I was going in. At the same time, when you said. So when you say strangest, I'm thinking about those. I'm thinking about those and all these other forms of esoteric knowledge and practice that are kind of seeping into my life these days um, and seem to be showing up everywhere I go. Um, but when you say most unexpected, I think amongst poets anyway, and amongst poets that I've hung out with, uh, my most unexpected obsession would have to be watching and sometimes practicing in the past uh, martial arts, specifically mixed martial arts, uh, the most violent slash popular rendition of which is the UFC. And I've told people before that given the option, I have a tough choice between going to a poetry reading and watching uh, people fight on, on, a, on a screen or in front of me. <laughs> well, so they really are tied together, aren't they? They are strangely, I suppose. There's a martial arts rendition to both of them, um, both of which kind of like intersect in multiple parts of my childhood. Notably, you know, on a couch surrounded by friends pretending we knew how to do the martial arts we were watching. I, what I, I find, you, you talk about this as a form of esoteric, you know, obscure, even sacred knowledge. Um mm -hmm. And I, I find, you know, because when you originally, you know, had suggested that you might talk about the mudras, um, like I, I read up a little bit and I thought, oh, this is probably going to wind up talking about martial arts and ninjutsu. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then like, lo and behold, here we are, where we are talking about ninjutsu and martial arts. And, and, and I was thinking about um, one of the things that I find fascinating in, in Chinese, the tradition of Chinese um, martial arts the tradition mm -hmm. of Chinese calligraphy and the tradition mm -hmm. of Chinese poetry is all intertwined. Yeah. That when you would test in, in ancient times, when you would take the exams, the civil exams for a government position, you were or a military position, you were tested on all of those. 
that your calligraphy, your ability to write poetry, and your your military prowess as as sort of a, an ability to fight were all mm. in effect being measured. In fact, some ways they evaluated your ability to fight based on your poetry and your calligraphy. That uh that that, that blows my mind partially because it's for a long time I have, you know, on and on again, off again obsessed with an attempt to like articulate a poetics through martial arts. Um, I've done some Filipino martial arts along the way, practicing in Vancouver, uh, Kali specifically in Vancouver. And then when I was in Toronto, I did uh, a specific uh, form of excrema called cinguteros, which was like inter- like the, uh, the goro. So as opposed to guru, as opposed to guru uh, G-U-R-U in the transliteration, it's either G-U-R-O or G-O-R-O more of a master of the physical mm. um uh the the guru in uh in uh toronto was from the same part of the philippines as my grandfather as my lolo um and so i had this kind of like you know i was i was writing fiction in my head while i practiced thinking mm-hmm. about them hanging out as kids and kind of like getting into street fights together <laughs> but i also i, I do want to say out loud and and, and admit that um if I tested for any of those, um, I can almost guarantee that I would fail in the calligraphy section. <laughs> That's there's no I've never been able to write anything other than chicken scratch. I've been accused of, you know, regularly they're like, Oh, do you want to be a doctor? Because you can't write on a page. And I was like, That's the closest thing I have to becoming a doctor is a lack of handwriting. It's like the one mm-hmm. skill I have that will allow me to go in that direction is having an Ill, um, illegible hand. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I, it makes me think back to when I was, uh, when I was in seventh grade, maybe sixth or seventh grade. I, uh, I was both doing well in class near the top of the class. And yet I was also in a remedial handwriting class because my handwriting <laughs> was so terrible. <laughs> that would be me. That would be me for sure. I, I can't say that it helped. Um, I, I think I momentarily improved enough to get through. And then even now, my you know, there are days when my long hand looks much better than, you know, it did. And then sometimes it looks pretty awful um, where I'm the only one that could probably read it. Uh, it's it, People also can't read my signature. They can't tell if I'm writing in Chinese or in English. Uh, nice. It's a good yeah. signature, though. That's what you kind of you want a signature that's almost, almost uh, invincible in terms of its uh, its ability to resist uh, being copied. Yeah, yeah, and I think that partly came because I, I used to paint, and so the signature evolved from from when I would sign with a brush, and uh, so I had big bold strokes, and then that carried over to to when I signed in pen or in pencil. So, so yeah. you might actually do well in the calligraphy part. Um, with the- only with my own name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only with my own name. Only with my own name, which feels like that should be a book. Um, That's not bad. Actually, maybe I need to write that. Um, yeah. But but let's look, let's go back to the mudras. Uh, like uh-huh. where where would you where would you trace the the beginnings of this interest? I mean. Okay. I mean, the, the, the funny version of like my direct relationship to it yeah. is I was in kind of like, uh, 
remember the name of it. In San Diego, there's a Spanish word for like a like the kind of shop where you would find esoteric things, like you like find, a bodega, like a bodega. It's, it starts with a B as well, but no, more like you know, like like you'll find potions, you'll find oh, candles. Yeah, I know what you're um, talking about. Yeah, right, botanica. Right, botanica. Uh, so I was in like a botanica, uh, you know, like crystals and like then books and and like tarot decks and, and oracle decks and stuff like that. Mm. I was looking at one after another uh, of, of different decks and then one by uh, this the same author who did this um, Rumi deck that I quite like. It's a very gentle deck. It's a beautiful deck. Uh, the art is fantastic. Um, I've also I've played with the decks in interaction with each other, like thinking through the colors in the paintings mm-hmm. and then the language in both the Rumi poems that they quote and the and the kind of like response write up that the author of this uh, book of oracle cards does. And I've kind of found my way towards mudras from them. Um, but my partner at the time, the very wonderful. Uh, writer Liz Huerta, an amazing, amazing uh, writer who everybody should check out. And she was just like, ah, you've got kind of that direction already. Why don't you find something else? And she, she kind of like pulls this deck off of like, you know, two kind of like behind the front, the front panel of books that are there. And she's like, oh, that's the one, you know? And of course I had my, my regular reaction to kind of um, ancient cultural practices uh, being brought to me by like a, European white uh, author. I was like, I don't even know, dog. I don't know if I want to mess with this at all. Um, but I opened it and I, and I kind of fell in love. And mm. when I looked at it, you know, it brought together a few things. It brought together an ancient, an ancient um, practice of po- of like interaction between poetry, theater, um, and martial arts. Mudras do all those things, which are things that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tendency to be up in my head. Uh, and you know, at the time I was teaching just about to graduate or, uh, it was either just before or just after a graduation from an MFA program at San Diego, uh, state university, you know, and working on a book. And so none of those things are body, you know, mm-hmm. and I was struggling with finding any kind of embodied, uh, time I had like before that, you know, I, I'd stopped smoking for, I did this, um, whole 30 kind of um, cleanse diet that's um, paleo based Mm -hmm. cousin of paleo. And they were harsh. They were like no smoking. And uh, I've, you know, I've stopped smoking before, but for some reason without any other vices and with like a challenge to my diet at the same time, I was particularly struggling. Mm. So during that time, uh, during that month, I was, I took up juggling as like a thing to do while I would usually have a cigarette. So every time I wanted to have a cigarette, I'd have to like pull out these juggle balls and just start (laughs) juggling where I was. That was the closest thing to physical activity I had. So, uh, so when the mudras came into, came into my life, I was immediately struck by how much they immediately landed me in my body that to strike uh, a single mudra pose. And then uh, I love the instructions and the ways that they kind of, um, remind you to lengthen your neck drop your shoulders and relax um and i find myself whenever i do them to really uh land back in my body which was something at the time that i was devastatingly in need of as someone who has always been kind of 
high active, um, high frequency of reverberation going on the inside almost at all times. Mm-hmm. Even when I seemed to be at my calmest, I, uh, I was drawn to them. And then immediately I did a whole practice. I, um, I, I, you know, I washed them in smoke and I kind of chose one that would be my guiding one. And then I've been practicing really interesting things with them ever since and lately have gone into some, um, some stuff that I actually really, uh, I really enjoy that I, that I think might be innovative, if not some kind of recall of an already existing ancient practice. Mm-hmm. So would you say that most of the mudras that you, you practice are full body um, gesture or pose or are, are it's a, is it a mix between like some that are more like localized to one part of the body? Mm. They're almost all primarily hand language combined with the way that you carry your body in posture and mm-hmm. or how you place how you place your hands. So when I was learning uh, group counseling and group facilitation in another lifetime, um, we were taught um, some Qigong. And mm-hmm. Qigong, you know, is like cousin slash, uh, slash grandparent of Tai Chi and is like cousin slash grandparent of Kung Fu as well. Or Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this one movement called Eight Pieces of Silk or an, or an eight movement sequence. Mm-hmm. And I was one time I was like somewhere in public and I really felt like I needed to do that sequence, but it's like a full body movement. That's, <laughs> you know, it would have been intrusive on the ferry mm-hmm. uh, where I was standing and uh, in a, on a crowded ferry. And so I kind of just stood there and tried to go through the movements inside myself. Mm. And so sometimes when I'm on the, so I'll do these mudras on, on the way to work in the morning. Um, but sometimes doing the mudras is actually like an internal kind of like an attempt to activate mm-hmm. uh, the physical movement without actually doing the physical movement. So this this practice of the mudras, do you, do you find, I, I think you suggested in, um, we were talking beforehand, you mm-hmm. had suggested that that in some ways this is starting to inform um, your latest work you, you, that you're writing toward or around or inspired by things that you're discovering as you practice. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm obsessed. Um, and I've always felt like since I first started using them, I was like, the moment I kind of pulled two or three cards, I thought to myself, well, it's like, there's seven chakras here. I should try and do sequences of seven. I should try and kind of interact them in a full way, Mm. you know? And so less the writing specifically, although there's a poetry, um, that happens when I try to try to sequence them. But I'm like, I'm currently obsessed with divining or composing or a combination of the two or just making up if we don't want to uh, allow me those um, grandiose claims of sequences that when they're put together are kind of, they, they specifically activate something. Mm-hmm. The first one came when I was in a major crossroads. I didn't know I needed it. I thought I was coming up with, uh, I thought we were just, me and David Maduli, who's a really good friend of mine and, a, and an amazing poet. Um, anyway, we got together and we, we did like a, a weekend retreat that we just were like, we need this both really badly. Let's do this. Um, so I drove up to Oakland from San Diego. We went to this beautiful place with this giant old redwood there. And in the morning, you know, we're like, how should we do this? Well, let's, you know, some things happened the day before. 
around the notion of the crossroads and in relationship to this um, Yoruba uh, guardian of the crossroads, uh, the deity Eshu, mm -hmm. uh, happened the, the night before, led us into specific processes that evening. And then in the next morning, we're like, let's wake up and write. And then something told us, let's actually, let's, let's stop and take care of ourselves. So we like mm -hmm. stopped and made like a really nice breakfast. And instead of like rushing ourselves into the work we were kind of there to do, we decided that we were there to kind of like give ourselves space. Mm -hmm. um, and in that time we pulled some mudra. We actually, we pulled cards from a different deck, a Ganesh deck that I also have. Um, and the words that came up, acceptance and concentration were like, okay, that's going to be our work for the day. But then one of us had the bright idea of seeing like, are there mudras for acceptance and concent uh, concentration? And there weren't. But what we did try to do was combine sets of mudras using the colors and the language in both decks and then like our own kind of like census poets to put them together. And so we mm. decided together that um, acceptance is uh, fearlessness plus oneness, which is like fearlessness is a, um, a root chakra mudra and oneness is a crown chakra mudra. So like the lowest and the highest or like closest to the ground and uh, closest to the sky or the most inner and the most outer. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, and then we thought the concentration we decided and, and or divined and or like made up and or joked that it would be a um, combination of determination, which is solar plexus um, and inner guidance, which is heart. And so after we did that, we went back and thought, let's get, a sequence of seven and of course nourishment was part of it there is a mudra for nourishment the color orange was all over the cards we pulled um and then i um my version of the last two to fill it out were i believe higher knowledge which is a third eye chakra mudra and freedom which like it looks like you know you kind of like clasp your two thumbs and have your palms back to back and open your fingers out and it, like it's like a like a bird spread mm -hmm. spread wings yeah and that one was kind of like the thing that i pulled from it and then since then have been obsessed with coming up with the, i've got one that i call inner dawn i've got one called the divine collaboration with your own silence i've got one for discernment for manifestation and I made up one most recently uh, just for the idea of phosphorescence, which has been a poetic obsession of mine. Mm. And I was like, well, I guess I need a phosphorescence mudra. And so like caught one of those. That's me rambling for, I don't know how long. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. But what, what strikes me as really interesting here is the process you're describing in some ways sounds a lot like how, how one might guess or puzzled together how different Chinese characters came to be. That they're yes. composed out of individual radicals, that each of which has its own separate meaning, and that composing them or combining to them together in certain ways then becomes its own new character. Um, yes. and, and like with Chinese, like, um, they're not always pictographic. Sometimes the role that they serve is, is phonetic. Like <coughs> by adding this radical, it's going to suggest a sound that's similar to that root radical. But mm -hmm. in other cases, it may evoke like a, you know, an elemental connection. This is fire or this is water related or this is, you know, um, this has to do with the earth or this has to do 
with um, you know something else uh, metal and and mm-hmm. so like there are different ways in which it might connect um, together and some things are you know conceptual that they're they're lending in but taken together they can you know it's interesting some things you look at them and you say like there's a whole story that's present here mm-hmm. about how this might have come to be in fact there is a there's a series of uh, children's books I, I picked up at a used bookstore a few years ago. I guess not a few years ago. It's been some time. That bookstore no longer exists. Um, but it, it, was a, it was a series of short books called um, The Story of, and then it would be like a particular Chinese character. And it was a mixture of calligraphy and, um, and sort of a narrative that helped you understand how that character came to be with the character being an actual character or part of the landscape or so it was it was really kind of interesting how how they kind of made it come alive in this particular way um and then it left you with a you know a fairly deep understanding of of like you know even though it's fabricated for the sake of making the story it right. gave you a sense of like this is a world that's populated by characters which are characters <laughs> I, uh, I'm in love with this. I want it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'll ask you uh, at some point to like send me maybe like more info because I'd, I'd like to find it. I think that there's a real resonance there. I mean, at one point, I think uh, Charlene Chang, uh, who was in Vancouver at the time, but is uh, now back in the Bay Area, um, originally from uh, New Jersey, she had a, a, a poem that was doing that kind of enactment with a specific character. Mm-hmm. I think it was, in, in her case, it was a, it was a, uh, the character for women and she made a story interlaced it with her own life, but also wrote fiction into the poem and kind mm-hmm. of like made it happen. I think that, I mean, it's available, right? It's available. And in some ways the mudras are like pictogramish, you know? And in some ways it's more like, almost like the shape they make your body make as a whole. And in some ways it's almost like you said, it's more conceptual as to how it works toward, um, toward embodying the sort of like story that it's telling. And that's, um, yeah, that's what's been the most fun of putting them together, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's a poetry in it. I was looking for the, um, in the, in the, in, in the mudra sequence for inner dawn that I'm, I'm playing with, um, I was asking for a sequence for active grieving. Cause I was going through a moment of like, just acknowledging the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and my desire was to run away from it or just like, not even to, I didn't even have a desire to run away with it. I was just really, really aware of the lump that was mm-hmm. inside the body. And like that I was just sitting with and unable to move. Um, and I, I was like, I need a mudra sequence for active grieving. And I just kind of, you know, I, you know, I took a break from carpenting. Like, I mean, I was, I was, I was working on this house. Everybody else was inside. I snuck onto the deck and I just kind of sat there on this like painter's uh, step ladder um, or, or sawhorse and was like, I need this sequence. And I kind of just sat and did some breathing for a while and then what came to me was um, uh, surrender, awakening, transformation, and mm-hmm. that's three. That's three uh, 
three mudras, surrender being root, uh, awakening being heart, and then transformation being solar plexus. And, you know, it blew my mind at the time. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. And I kind of, you know, I believed the hype, and but but it but it helped me move things, not immediately, uh, because the lump, you know, mm. grief is a grief is a thing, but um, and of course loss stays, but but it opened my relationship to the grief to make it active, you know, like in you know like going back to martial arts, I was in a sequence of martial arts movement with the grief as opposed to standing still inside it, like drowning inside it or or other visuals, you know, or like having made a home for it to use a different, to use a different. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this because it, it, to me, it sounds, and, and this may be, you know, I guess one way perhaps to think of it is like, are, are the mudras and these gestures an act or a means by which you release or expel or let out somehow channel outward something that is within or are they a way in which you you summon or invoke or call within something that's without you that's outside or are they both i would i would lean immediately toward both Mm -hmm. um because you know i think that they open up the pathways Mm -hmm. for for the summoning you know Mm -hmm. right like the transformation of like just clunky kind of like lump in the body lump in the throat lump in the heart heavy stone in the stomach grief uh versus versus like a passage that's open that actually that feels it but feels it in a form of movement and Mm -hmm. that like so summons an activeness into that grief and therefore expels some of at least the you know the silt that otherwise would never leave Mm-hmm. you know back out and so it's i feel like it's this interaction mm-hmm. you know yeah it's the it's the breath piece it's the um it's the calling in and mm-hmm. the releasing out and there's a you know and it depends for me like i'll do the sequences kind of like top to bottom bottom to top and then like out of order like you know jumping from one to another and so i think like if you do it top to bottom there may be more of a kind of like summoning in and if you do it like root to crown there may be more of like a releasing out and then the back and forth happens when you when you go back and forth mm-hmm. but i'm treating these things as if everything i'm saying is real but that's i think the most that's the joyful thing i'm just i'm treating them as if i can say these things out loud without you know uh without compunction and that's i think the most the thing about it that's the most fun is to be like i'm just gonna say that as if i mean it I think I mean it. <laughs> well, I, I think um, I, on some level it's it's meaningful. Like you, yeah. you wouldn't be invested if it yeah. did not bring some sort of of peace and some sort mm-hmm. of you know understanding by doing this. I, mm-hmm. I, I think what's interesting is like you know on a superficial level one might look and see the mutras as as these set of hand gestures and arm gestures and maybe even full body gestures that, mm-hmm. you know, constitute a type of, you know, of, of symbolic language, mm-hmm. but that would be too reductive. It's different. Mm-hmm. Like initially, I, you know, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, in some ways it reminds me of, um, 
I, I took a class years and years ago when I was an undergraduate on the history of rhetoric, and there was a there was a whole discussion around a 17th century author by the name of I think his name is John Bulwer. I think Bulwer um, wrote a treatise on the rhetoric of hand positions, and so he studied sort of the ways in which, like he 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 decided that the natural language of the human being is our hand. Our hand is a more powerful tongue than our tongue because it crosses over every language. And, and so it was this really interesting idea. And then he proceeds to try to scientifically and systematically you know, catalog different hand gestures and what they might emote, what do, do, what do they suggest or what do they mean. And then his, his further theory was that when performing any sort of oratory, one should draw on this body of hand gestures in order to maximize your meaning or to deliver your content in the most effective of ways. That it would super, supersede, overpower even the language that you use to actually use the language of the hands. It's interesting. I mean, you know, there's not zero relationship between that and yeah. uh, ancient South Asian and like Southeast Asian uh, musical theater. Right? Like no, no, yeah, yeah, that is part of the dance. Part, and, yeah. Right? And they would they would say that there's more there's both like more and less to it than what he's kind of trying to claim. Right. right. And I, I would say too, I mean, there is a long tradition um you know in near eastern eastern cultures and and religions of right. of hand position handshakes, gestures, um, you know, body language as part of religious um, symbology and ritual that, oh, you know, right. you, you do need to exchange, you know, certain hand gestures in order to mean certain things or to pass on certain power or to indicate right. one, one's authority. All these different things are, are present in these really old traditions. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fully, fully agreed. Ancient and current, right? Ancient and current. Ancient and, ancient and current. Um, and some of that persists is... today. I mean, the very fact that we, you know, we swear people in on a Bible that, or swear allegiance to a flag or salute all goes back to like the importance of hand gesture and positioning. This is the Lit Fantastic. We're speaking to the poet Hari Aluri about his obsession with mudras, movement, and how this fascination with the body and its expression ultimately leads to martial arts. You know, I think a lot of it is, is this gets more tied up into ritual and authority and power and less so about what you're talking about with mudras, which is really about opening these channels and, and connecting us with this larger universe. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's perhaps where the break is, where the separation is that superficially there's a resemblance. And yet at the same time, there's a real diametric, difference between how it's evolved in its use today versus you know what it meant to to other people. Yeah. I would say perhaps the one place where 
where there's some sort of still remains some crossover is is you know um, sign language and the language for the deaf is there is it goes beyond simply a spelling out of things into an actual performative you know telling you know a relaying and emoting and an evoking of of you know a world or a sentence or an idea you know that goes beyond simply you know the alphabet. No, fully. Uh... Full agreement, and then of course, and this is another from another similar conversation with a uh, with a friend of mine, you know. And uh, it, I would go so far as to include gang signs in that. Like, there's a relationship, mm-hmm. for example, and and like gang signs in relationship to like uh, perhaps kung fu movies, but also perhaps before that, and just like you know the the welcomingness, the secret handshake. The way that um, belonging becomes uh, belong becomes translated through mm-hmm. the body in a way that allows for an interior and an exterior to 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 uh, to be communicated, um, and then of course back to martial arts and 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 those ancient forms of dance, and also you know and to double that, I'm thinking specifically of like African American culture, mm-hmm. thinking of the ways in which breakdancing in some ways seems to have divined capoeira with or without direct access to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was part, I think it was there, you know what I mean? Mm. But I also think that a certain amount of it was this kind of, you know, ends up being this interaction backward and forward where some, some folks were like carrying that capoeira art forward. And some folks were kind of finding their way into it from a different place and then they move. You know? mm-hmm. I, I like to geek out about those <laughs> those ways in which the in which the like the ancient and the contemporary kind of find each other. Mm-hmm. You know? And I always feel like there's a like one of the things I'm almost like adamant in my esoteric enunciation or 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 utterance is like like these things are almost, if not actually impossible to completely, you know, to completely wipe out. Because the, the the histories of uh, violence we've been in, including the one we're in right now with the, you know, with the separation of of, um, of, of parents and children, mm-hmm. these these histories have, you know, have been attempts at eradication of so much connection, um, and yet we continue to make them. So I'm gonna that's me kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the reason I'm saying it partially is almost at a. At a, at a spiritual kind of like ancestral connection almost, um, but also a community and like activated um, notion that like fo- folks find a way to retain and transform uh, these forms of uh, these forms of knowledge, communication, spirituality, uh, discipline, joy, dance, love, mm-hmm. song, you know, uh, well- gesture. Right, and I, I think what what you're getting at too is perhaps like one of the reasons why, I mean, there are many reasons why it's absolutely important what's happening, you know, at the border and the separation of families, but I think part of it is just a symbology of the breaking of that grasp of that yeah. the hand holding yeah. is now yeah. separated. You know yeah. how, how profoundly you know devastating that is to strike mm-hmm. hands apart, and how old and persistent that image is of the clasp hand as yeah. as sort of a sign of unity, as uh, of of fellowship and of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it is it is deeply disturbing when we we see that corrupted and or we see it broken 
and mm-hmm. separated. Um, I wanted to shift let me, slightly. Let me or, jump in oh, very okay, quickly before yeah. your shift and just note that uh, the mudra for inner uh, for inner truth uh, is uh, greatly resembling of the clasping of one's own hands. Oh, interesting. I just wanted to throw that in yeah. based, based on what you said, but let me let me follow your shift after that. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, in terms of, um, you know, this this talk about violence also brings us back to something you talked about earlier. Um, yeah. Which is sort of the, I guess, kind of the the strange paradox of martial arts that it can, yeah. you know, the training can bring one tremendous inner peace and control mm-hmm. and sensitivity to one's body and relation to the universe. Well, yeah. at the same time, the origin and ultimately the the underlying purpose, or at least its foundational mm-hmm. purpose was still nonetheless to exert power and control over another's body. Um, And so um, I I was wondering what are your thoughts as someone who is both invested and interested in it um, and also a practitioner of it? Um, You know what? My first response is actually to jump to a a different obsession, uh, namely (laughs) fantasy. And to think about, um, you know, the book, The Name of the Wind, uh, Patrick Rothfuss, I think we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I know. Right? And yes. I mean, that, you know, the concept of, I think he pronounces it Alar. Uh-huh. I pronounce it Alar because um, it, like, it, it rolls off my tongue more naturally. However, you know, you can Alar claim it's the Canadian it. accent of this. Yeah, exactly. Alar, or maybe the, it's a migrant accent. Alar yeah. is a migrant accent, a multiple migration accents in my, uh, my ancestry and body. But, um, uh, you know, the holding of two otherwise impossible truths at the same time. Yeah. And like, I have been obsessed. Like, I love that, that, you know, paradox is one thing, but they just, the full carrying of impossibly, of impossible to recognize truths, I, I'm in love with. I, I actually love the Chinese term for this, this type of paradox is Mao Dun. Mao Dun. Mao is, is, uh, is the spear that will uh, pierce anything. And one is the shield that will block anything. And so, uh-huh. so just what happens when they meet? Yo. And so that, you know, that, that phrase, you know, yeah. Yeah. And it's, so, and that is hard. It's a, too, it's a martial, right? it's a martial image is, is like those things coming together. But, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I think it is, it is what, I guess, what am I saying? Um, what what draws you to this? What is the fascination yeah. with with martial arts? Um, you know the the easy cop out answer for me is that, um, and I have multiple, but the the, the easy cop out answer is like you know when you've practiced something, mm-hmm. uh, there's a way in which your relationship to it is transformed. Yeah. You know, there's a way in which your seeing is transformed. Um, the same way that you know, I'll never know the intricacies of a few North American sports. Uh, like it took me 20 years to actually see hockey beautiful. Mm. Um, you know, I could observe it. I could like, you know, appreciate the athleticism and things like that. But for me to actually see um, who was doing what, you know, mm-hmm. more than like, oh, they scored or they seem to still have the puck to be like, oh, they did this sequence of passes under this understanding of the rank in relationship to the movements of the other players, you mm. know, 
Um, so it took me 20 years to see that. And, you know, the same thing goes for forms of dance, theater. Mm. You know, one might argue that, like, you know, uh, and I mean, you know, one's appreciation for uh, for poetry and the question of, like, how did they do that always comes up when you're in love with a thing and you practice it. Mm-hmm. And so on the one side, it's that. Was it having kind of, like, grown up a little bit in it? You know, I did Shutokan Karate in, like, grade school, and then I practiced these mixed martial arts by themselves and, and you know at different points intermittent in my life it's been some time since i can since i i could it's been long enough that i can't quite claim myself to be a practicing martial artist mm. although i will practice every so often by myself mm. um and of course cop out and say like oh yeah and bruce says that the you know the highest form of training is self-training so <laughs> occasionally <laughs> the highest form of, that doesn't mean i'm any good at it it just means i'm you know hanging out uh, I, I was waiting for you to say the highest form of training is is non-training. <laughs> yes. To eliminate within you, a very Zen thing to do would be to eliminate even the desire to train, because <laughs> that is that holds you to the world, and, right? It's like and it holds you to your body, and you should let go of that body. too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's the that's that's the that's actually a much better cop out. I thank you. I quote you. In fe- I. I, I ask you for permission to quote you in future conversations about martial arts i um I, my my interaction know, with martial arts is um comical at best yeah. and um and borrowed for the most part i uh mm. when i was in grade school um as a uh mixed race chinese scottish kid um I managed to avoid any fights with other school kids by pretending that I knew martial arts and oh pr- posing in dramatic forms <laughs> and then frightening and people it, out. It worked back it, then. It right? worked. Like, back, back then, then it worked. Because and the actual assumption was that if you like that somehow it had been transmitted to you. Somehow I, I had it in my genetic makeup. In your genetic makeup and while you were sitting in class there was another interdimensional part of Neil that was actually practicing martial arts outside class. Outside of class, exactly. Honing his skills, becoming an impossibly astute warrior while you were also sitting in class mm-hmm. uh, next to your fellow students. L- later... Yeah, a thousand years psychic battles. Yeah. Later, later, when I was pursuing my undergraduate, I had a roommate who was Iranian, mm-hmm. um, who had fled... Long story. He had He had become a political refugee at the age of... I think for writing an essay against the government it was a rather foolish thing to do Um, ended up in in Pakistan and then ended up in Sweden and then eventually came to the States for school Um, but he was trained in many different martial arts Um, he was trained in Iranian martial arts he was also trained in Wing Chun and he was trained in um, Thai kickboxing and at least two other martial arts I remember the first time I sat down with him and introduced him to Jet Li and Fist of Legend. Yeah. And it was eye-opening for him and eye-opening for me. For him, he had never seen Jet Li perform and never and Fist of Legend is actually one of the movies where he's not flying around. Right. Um and all the shots are long shots of him actually doing these things. And so it was really you know he he saw he saw the 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 martial arts in a completely different way than I did, 
when I when I was watching it. And so he explained to me, he would stop and rewind and show me what was happening about why this was so outstanding or unusual or unbelievable what he had achieved in this one you know moment in wow. this one particular fight scene. Um, yes. and, and it was eye-opening because it was like you were saying, it's like up until that moment, I had no clue. You know, I, I didn't know what to look for, so I didn't understand other than sort of like, oh, that was a cool fight scene. I didn't understand what was going on. And yeah, so it opened my mind to like, oh, there's a lot more that's going on here. There's a lot of things that are, you know, outstanding simply from a from the physicality of it. It's just really unexpected that the body can pull this off. Um, <laughs> but it's also it's also like unusual right? in terms of like the um, I just sort of like the gracefulness of what's being done too. How all these different moves are seamlessly woven together, and and just you know instantaneously you know in a shot. And so I, I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, there, it is something of a dance in this moment. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, it does bring us back, too, to think about poetry and how seamless it can be. You know, like, it takes us yeah. a long time to really understand what's happening in the poetry we admire most, that we're moved by the most. Yeah. And it seems, um, it seems like it is silk. And we don't see all the threads that go into it. Um, you know, it's like, oh, it, there's so much more to it. Um, um, you've got me searching a, a phrase out. What is the what is the word for choreography? So the calligraphy of choreography is what you had me think. Yeah, uh, yeah. As I followed yes. your silk metaphor, I'm like, oh my god. Well, there there's a there's a whole improvise you know improvisational skill that goes on both on the battlefield and on the dance floor and arguably on the blank page for the calligrapher or for the poet. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so, like, to be able to channel that is, is something magical and beautiful. And it's all that illusion of ease, right? You see someone do it in a single gesture, not realizing it's composed of a hundred micro-gestures, each of which is, if we go back to the mudras, opening and channeling and redirecting things um, to yeah. enable this power to come into play. Um, I'm sitting with that. I'm loving. That. I'm like, I'm trying to think of. A, I'm, I'm, I'm making the uh, to try and remember what you said. I'm gonna go so far as to make the mudra for receiving together. All right, I'm trying <laughs> to remember this phrase. We're talking about the single fluid motion made up of so many um, interacting motions yeah. at the same time. Manifestation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, um, so when you get yeah, when you talked about you know the how much we but then again we also like you know i used to make this sequence of of uh martial arts moves that was essentially a combination of bollywood plus kung fu (laughs) that you know that the people in my neighborhood unluckily for me knew enough to know was like complete they're like oh yeah hari style cobra bollywood cobra is not a move honey i'm sorry they're like, we have also watched both Bollywood and Kung Fu, and this will not help you at all. <laughs> I, I will admit to occasionally borrowing Tai Chi moves and weaving them onto the dance floor and yes. seeing if anyone notices. Oh, I definitely take, um, I, used to, I used to sneak uh, Kali, uh, Filipino Kali handboxing, like uh, flow, uh, flow, which, you know, there's a relationship between Qigong and, and Kali mm-hmm. in the sense of 
the soft hands and the like and the kind of like hand trap and movement that happens mm-hmm. very both fast and fluidly. Um, and you know, one of the tests again, you know, you might think that the trick is to be more rigid or more strong or whatever, but like you actually like you learn so much about where a person is at based mm-hmm. on their uh, flow hands. If their flow hands are off, that means their breathing is off. That means they might be in a difficult emotional state. That means they might be dealing with something else outside of here, or they just may be like, you know, just not in that flow space themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you go back to like the beginning of the conversation, those three types of tests that, you know, as you did, apart from being able to fight. And I mean, my most, you know, when I was a kid, my my most vivid memories of being actually knocked out and then being handed my belt afterwards, um, <laughs> which was amazing. By a f- fellow student, I defended and defended. Mm. And then, then Uche, she got a beautiful like roundhouse kick to the side of my head. And I think I went down. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, must have been beautiful to behold from everywhere else, but my view. Um, and, um, but, you know, like, part of the test is like how um how easeful is your flow yeah like how how without how how can you resist without resisting how can you push back without seeming to like need force but you're using force but it's all Mm -hmm. within that within that magic i i would love to stay and keep talking about this but unfortunately Mm -hmm. our our time is drawing to an end um Be, before my uh, hand is broken by my emotional devastation at the end of the conversation. Um, so before before we wrap up, would it be possible mm-hmm. for you to read one or two poems for us? Yeah. So I'm working on these poems. Ekalavia is uh, is is you know it kind of like brings it all together. Mm-hmm. He's this um, he's a figure from the Mahabharata. He's a minor figure, right? He was uh, he's tribal and therefore not. Like 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 prior to the caste system, mm. like judged from within the caste system, and I'd go longer, but like the, what I want to say, the, the brief thing is, he decides to become an archer, gets gets rejected by the guru, whose job it is to to, to teach the princes how to to be the the greatest fighters in the land, and he goes and he builds a statue of the guru, prays to it. Um, and proceeds to make himself better than all the rest of them. <laughs> but I'll, I'll read one or two poems from that sequence that I um, that is like one of my other obsessions. I actually, you know, it's a book that I'm I continue to write other books while I try to get to the point where I can finally actually mm-hmm. write this book. So here's uh, a recent kind of still in draft mode, but it's called Touch. The knife blade is the shape of seeking. This blade, the dark-limbed boy sharpened the features of his guru with. This thumb he licked to bulbous them and smooth. If I were the guru, the Kalavya formed with river clay, I would kiss my own statue, find inside my lips a Kalavya's lips. Twined. An image, thumb blood dropped to knife in a clearing, flowers smeared from day after day after month after years of archery practice, thousands of steps back and forth between bent bow and tree. Such an intimacy 
this act of shaping clay. The folds in the robes and ligaments, the palms outfacing, the eyes of his guru, his own eyes with which to aim. Overture. Even a former alpha dog wants God for a charioteer. But to attendance at my chain, I would gnaw like the mange, the self-fulfilling promise of blood. I rowdied the air so it would gnaw deer into the bowlines of my masters. A hundred and five princes playing hunt, I fed them braggadocio. They threw me the choicest bones to gnaw. When I was done, the other dogs could fight over what marrow. Eat my leftovers, my tail would say, that type of wag, no more. That day I gnawed the jungle clearing air, burst in with my growl. Then a quiet of six arrows chiding. My mandible stuck open, the flavor of iron and whittled rose jockeying at my tongue, gnawing my voice a stopped frontier, my maw a vase, sprouting plumage, every muscle from tail to tooth drunk on their new fear of rowdying the air around your hunter's meditation. The way you nod at perfection, turning back to your tree, not bullseye as if I was a miss, not worth drawing blood, a scar, not even. What you did was shabda bhedi, apex predation. I fled from my own gnaw. Now my scent can't free itself from the past it clings to. Yours remains an odor I cannot follow, a steady incompletion my yelp still in the throat. It buries and redigs up the gnaw you gave me, acting like it doesn't hunger your bow. The dust around you, unsettled at its own settling, nose to the ground and still, still as when I used to crouch before the leap. A bone gnawing like the jungle did me then. Leaf laugh, trunk lurk, tiger smirk, monkey heckle, parrot and deer bark at my back, as if the underbrushes gnaw, lashed whispers at my tail tuck run. My burst upon the caravan started my prince out his chariot, because you did what he could not imagine, my arrowed mouth gnawed what his birthright promised, his royal skill to get you, low-born fool, rewarded for your trespass. You sever your thumb from the hunt, and don't so much as whimper. Gnaw, Ekalavia, bloody on this. Not I, but you are the kick dog of this story. Sport, how thrown you will never sit like a choke chain at your throat. Your thumb, a blossom in my teeth. Your beauty, mine to gnaw. So this is a, this is an ongoing book project that is not out yet not out yet this okay. is like you know i was thinking about but because of our conversations the martial arts and the and the mudras and all this it kind of leans much more in this direction mm -hmm. you know and i mean this is like you know this is um this is part of what i, I know i want to follow the flakes in with mm -hmm. um and it has some seedlings planted and lying around in sections of the flake city I've never read either of those. Uh, definitely the last one I've never read before. So I'm really grateful for the conversation that led to that, you know? 
Well, we're, we're pleased to have you on and uh, thrilled that you were able to be a part of the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Hari. Uh, gratefulness mudra is uh, receiving plus unconditional love. That's my uh, thing I try to do every day. So mad gratefulness to you. And I'm just super glad to have picked with you on the, on the fantastic. That was the poet Hari Aluri. To find out more about Hari and his latest book, The Flayed City, which is just out from Kaya Press, visit the website for Kaya Press at www.kaya.com. To listen to previous episodes of The Lit Fantastic, visit www.thelitfantastic.com or find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or kboo.fm in the archive. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Lit Fantastic. And until next time, I'm your host, Neil Aiken.